Ephesians chapter 1 in our ongoing journey through the book of Ephesians. If you're, if you're new to Safe Haven, um, what we do is we journey straight through books of the Bible. Um, and we're in Ephesians now. So we've made it three sections into Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And here's a recap of, of where we've been so far. The recap is this. As a believer, um, if you've seen anything, hopefully you've seen that as believers we're grounded in grace and peace. And that's solely the work of Christ. That'll be the first thing that pops on the screen. So just as a recap, maybe using uh, the graphic that was created for for this series, let's go ahead and pop that up, Cole. Just as a reminder of, of, of everything that... We are in Christ. Ephesians has reminded us right off the bat of of the things that grounds us. And here's what they are. Ephesians chapter 1 right off the bat told us that in Christ we're blessed, we're chosen, we're made holy, we're made blameless. He's predestined us. He's adopted us. He's redeemed us. He's forgave us. He's lavished us with wisdom. He's opened our eyes. He's united us. He's gave us an inheritance. And He's sealed us. That's a lot, guys. So in Christ, your sandwich that is covered in God's goodness and then smothered even more in His grace and peace. And that's what Ephesians has reminded us of who we really are. And hopefully that's brought you joy already. In other words, so if the whole world, if the whole world falls around us, it doesn't matter. It does not matter because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our hope is not in this world. That's what this whole reminder has has been about. And man, it has been good. I hope you've been sopping it up. So all of that stuff that's on the screen that Ephesians 1 has told us in verses 1 through 14, it leaves us encouraged, doesn't it? It kind of leaves us with the notion that In Christ, God really does have a providential smile over us rather than a snarl. Rather than a, oh, are they ever going to get it right? It leaves us just with that encouragement um, in Christ's work. It, It leaves us thankful knowing that we couldn't do any of these things on our own. It leaves us with that already in Ephesians. But, perhaps, perhaps it can leave us wondering... If we have any role whatsoever. Maybe some of you have already kind of come to that in the book of Ephesians, just wondering, okay, if all that is true, then do I really have any role or any value at all in and of myself? Am I any truly use to God? It kind of is the question I'm kind of getting at. Um, Y'all remember the fight scene in uh, Elf? Y'all remember that scene? The snowball fight? It's a great, great scene, right? Uh, Michael, is bullies are picking on him. They're throwing snowballs from off the top of the, the bridge. Y'all remember this? And all of a sudden, Buddy says to Michael, Hey, grab a snowball and fa- let's fasten as many as you can real fast. And then the scene pans over and, and Michael has some snow and he's putting it together. And then you hear in the background, And what's going on? But he's slapping them together, and then all of a sudden, it, it's, this is one frame. I just froze this one frame. And all of a sudden, in that one frame, Michael looks up, and he's proud of his snowball, only to see that Buddy has done everything. And the rest of that little clip plays out with Buddy doing what? Pelting everybody. Michael doesn't throw his, even his one snowball. And he pelts them all, and all of a sudden, there's one person getting away, 
And then what does Buddy do? He grabs Michael Snowball, the only thing that Michael had to offer. He hands it to Buddy, and it's just that beautiful moment. It's like a little... Will Ferrell has got an arm, guys. And he, he flings that thing, and it pops the dude in the head, and all of a sudden... I wonder if sometimes when we drink in the, the breadth of God's sovereignty... When we drink in all that He does for us, I wonder if sometimes, if in doing so, we can begin to feel unmotivated oddly. Maybe a little bit lethargic. Almost apathetic. Because, and listen, that is a warped view of God's sovereignty. Yes, there's no doubt about it. But I wonder if sometimes that happens. If we go, well, if, if God does all these things, then I really do have nothing to offer God. And, and so what value am I? Am I, of, am I of any use? Has anybody ever felt that? I know I felt it. Um, so, so here's the danger in that. The danger when that happens is when we don't feel useful, we'll just begin to we'll be bored. Um, we'll get unstable, unsteady, shaky in our faith. It's like this. If I'm of no value, then I'll just place my energy and efforts towards something else that I do feel valuable in. Um, if I'm of no value, then, then I'll just kind of drink in the fullness of whatever I'm craving at the moment. If I'm of no value, then I just kind of get humdrum, depressed, slothful. All these things kind of flood in. Here's the thing. When we believe that we're of no value, then you can just rest assured that discontent... And instability is always knocking at the door. And we know that to be true in all things. At work, right? When you feel like you're of no value at work, you'll just kind of become discontent. When you feel you're of no value to the school, you'll feel like you're just discontent. When you feel of no value, we kind of get that. And it happens in church as well. I can't tell you how many times over the 20, gosh, 24 years I've been in ministry... I've had the conversation with people going, well, I just don't know what to do. And what they're saying is not, I don't know what to do, or I don't know where to place myself. What they're saying is, I've just become discontent, and I don't feel of my own value. And I don't know where to place that, that value. We all have, have been there. So again, it is a warped understanding of, of Christ's work. That's true. And it's a warped mindset for the believer to have. But it is possible that believers do get stuck kind of in that, that notion or that belief set. Well, today, I think Paul knows this. And for two verses, two verses, he kind of flips the switch a little bit. God does all these things, and it's going to be sandwiched by. God also does all these things, but there's a peculiar two verses right at the beginning where Paul also says, but you have incredible usefulness. You have incredible value and you play a very real role in kingdom work. And I pray today that that ignites you. So if we will, let's, let's look at this together. Chapter 1, verse 15 um, and 16 is really where, where we'll kind of hang our time today. And so yes, as a believer, you are firmly rooted in grace and peace. But also what this passage is going to tell us is as a believer, yes, God gets the glory in all things. But you do play a very, very real role. And we're just going to kind of look at that for just a second. I hope today that you walk away going, I am useful to the Lord. Um, and when you're useful, that will bring stability. So let's look at this verse together. 
So he says this, for this reason. So, in other words, something prompted Paul to say what he's about to say to us. For this reason. For this reason, because I have heard of. So not only something that he's seen or something that's prompted him, uh, but something that they did specifically. Not something that God did, but something that they specifically did prompted him to say what he's going to say. For this reason, because I have heard of... Now watch this. Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for who? Listen, as a church who is solid theologically, it's hard to say that word, isn't it? Who is he thankful for? You. I do not cease to give thanks for you and remembering you in my prayer. Four times he says this. You, 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 you. Now, I mean, y'all know our, our mantra. I mean, we are quick to go, it is nothing about us and all about Jesus, okay? That we're quick to say that. But Paul does remind us that we have a usefulness. And this leads us to two very simple, very quick questions I think we can pull out of this today that I hope will be applicable for you and encouraging to you and cause you just to think. So question one out of this text right here would be this. Number one, how are you using your usefulness or your means of usefulness in ways that shows your great faith in Christ. So notice that's exactly what Paul said. Here's why I'm thankful. I'm thankful, number one, because of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So my question is, if Paul was looking at you, how would he say that you are using your usefulness or your means of usefulness to express your great faith in Christ? Because the destabilizing whisper that Satan often kind of pops in our ear is this. Why? You can be useful to the world without inserting conversations about faith in Christ. You can be of great value. That's kind of that, that subtle whisper that he throws into our ear. And it's, it's partly true, but it's also a very whole lie. Okay? Um, you can be of earthly use, yes, by using your gifts and abilities but it's of eternal use um, in, in the negative sense. It's of no eternal use if it doesn't lead to conversations or pushing towards Christ's righteousness and all things. There's, that's kind of the key. That expression of faith is what makes us truly useful. And so we can be useful, I guess is what I'm trying to say, in unworshipful ways by using our talents and abilities. We can do some really good things that at the end of the day are just really good things from an earthly standpoint. You can live a life that's fun and it's applause-worthy and people go, yeah, yeah, that's cool and he's really good at this and that. But if it doesn't point to great faith in Christ, then it's fragile and it will always leave you seeking more fragile applause. He was really good at this. Oh, that was fun to hear. Now what else am I really good at? There's a way that you can be useful that is of... No eternal value. Say phrases like this. He is a great coach to those teams. She is an awesome employee or employer. She's so smart. She's the smartest person that I know. He is a really, really good listener. That's never been said of any man ever. But he's so funny. She's just a joy to be around. All of these things are good things. 
And when people say those things about you or me or whoever, they're expressing that person is useful to me. They've, they've given some form of means that is useful to me, and I, I, I applaud them. But what Paul is saying is, he's saying, listen, you're truly useful when those things are coupled with using those gifts to push towards the glory of Christ in all things. That's kind of the kicker. There's an article. I don't have time to, to go through all of, all of the article, and, and I can shoot you the link if you want it afterwards. As a matter of fact, if you hadn't checked it out, that's my phone number on the bottom. Uh, we don't have secretaries hiding us from, you know, this is my number. You can text me any question at any time that you want, okay? So if you want this article, I'll be glad to send you this article in full. Just say, hey, Troy, shoot me that article. But there was an article by Ben Sixsmith, which is a really wicked, cool name. Um, and, and, and the whole article was about the fall of a celebrity pastor. And we'll just leave it at that. Um, but he wrote this, this article about this, this famous, big, well-known pastor who had fallen. But his point of the article is really more about Christianity. And Christianity particularly versus worldliness. And the whole article was about how this individual um, and, and Christians in general a lot of times look just like the world and smell like the world, talk like the world, look like the world, dress like the world, sing like the world, act like the world, all this kind of stuff. This is an unbeliever who wrote this article. And I'm going to pop on the screen for you this quote that I think really proves the point of where Paul's getting at. If we want to truly be useful, it's got to do something with we are useful and use our talents and abilities, but we use those to push towards the glory of Christ in all things. The world uses their usefulness, but Christians are marked by that extra step of using my talents and abilities to push towards Christ in all things. And here's what he says, this unbeliever. So if Christianity is such an inessential add-on, meaning I'm a Christian, but I really don't have to add it on. It's just kind of inessential. So if Christianity is such an inessential add-on, then why would I even become a Christian? I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should or should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me uncomfortable. This is not a preacher screaming this. This is an unbeliever saying, you should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and value then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. Pretty powerful, isn't it? It's a bold, powerful statement. Real usefulness is found when we stamp the gospel on the various aspects of our lives. And so, man, be a coach, yes, but be a coach who uses coaching to push towards the glory of Christ, which means we've got to verbally speak it, we've got to verbally say it, we've got to look somewhat different. We'll make people feel a little bit uncomfortable. That's what we're called to be, and that's true usefulness. So we work hard and we work diligently, but we have that gospel conversation with the person at our workplace that God's saying, have this gospel conversation. That's what changes things. So we play hard and we have fun. But man, while we're playing, we verbally speak something about the goodness of the Lord. 
We engage in politics. I said it. I don't engage in politics because they make me want to vomit. But we engage in politics, right? And we use that as just a leveraging means not to promote this person or that person, but to talk about Jesus. We enjoy social media, but social media is not the end-all, be-all. We don't do it just so that people will go, they're really cool on social media. We leverage that social media as a means to boast in the person and work of Christ. We meet needs, but we don't stop meeting needs like the Red Cross does. The Red Cross meets needs, but it terminates at just being useful. So we meet needs and we serve and we give and we love and we pour our money and energy and efforts. We go to the TCHS wrestling match and we serve and we give out food and we do stuff for all kind of things in the community. But we don't stop there. We use it as a means to then go, we do this because Jesus is awesome and you need to know that. That's what Paul says. I am pumped by your faith because your faith is known. We're confronted in compromising situations and we war to maintain a posture of worship than to give in to those compromising situations. That's what sets us apart. Why? Because you can reach someone that nobody else can reach by doing something that nobody else can do. That's who God made you to be. So may it be said of each of us, you know what? I don't really remember a single thing that Calvin or Tyler did or Julia did. I don't don't really really remember a, a single thing that any of you specifically did. But whatever they did, they always brought it back to Jesus somehow. Let that be said of us is where Paul's getting. Let it be said that there's... I don't really know what they did, but I do know this. There's no doubt they were a person of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes us truly useful. So question number one, how are you using your usefulness in a way, like Paul said, that I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If I went around to your coworkers and family, would they say of you, they're a person of faith in Christ? Or... Would they give me 15 things that you do well? That's the question Paul is pushing us to. And so then that leads to the second question. Not only does Paul say, I've heard of your faith, but he says, I've heard of your love towards the saints. So question number two is, how are you using your usefulness in ways that shows your love for Christ's saints specifically? There's a unique characteristic that Paul says of someone who's truly grounded in the faith, and that being that they're marked not only as a person of faith, but let it be said, that person is always around other Christians. They love the saints. That's what Paul gets at. So do people say this of you? Buddy, he really loves his hunting club people. He really loves his gym people. She really loves her social media seen people. They really love their work people, their ballpark people, their Pinterest people. They're really crafty people. They love those type people. Or, is it said of you, they never miss an opportunity to be around Christ's people. That's what Paul says. He says, listen, if you want to be grounded, you're marked by two things. Number one, your faith is seen so that people go, I know them to be a person of faith. And then what else does he say? They're also marked by They love the saints. 
They love the brotherhood. They love it. They love the sisterhood. They can't get enough of it. This is a marker that he says. Now listen to me. This could sound like self-serving preacher talk. But I hope you know I'm just going through the text. This is what what Paul says, okay? I understand. I understand wanting to sleep in. I get it. I understand wanting to do my own thing. I get it. This morning, Julie Beth couldn't be here because she's sick. And I was like, you know what? I would love to just hang out with my wife and just kind of, you know, I get it. I understand all the the things that come up to where we come up with a million excuses, but be reminded that Paul screams out, if you want to be grounded, the church doesn't exist just to grow into a church and all that kind of stuff. The church exists because we sharpen one another. There's a one anothering that goes on. The sermon, oh, if anything you've heard me say, the sermon cannot be the centerpiece of the church. It can't be. It shouldn't be. It should never be. It should be this little bitty thing we do for 25-ish minutes on a Sunday morning. It's othering. It's rubbing shoulders. It's shaking hands. It's how are you. It's life. It's the loving of one another. It has to be more. And that's what Paul says. You were meant to sharpen another person with a gift that no other person has in a way that no other person can do it. And so when you're absent, and I'm not saying from Sunday, that's not my point. It could be community groups, it could be mission trips, it could be whatever. When you're just constantly absent, it's not that you just miss out. It's that we miss out your joy that you bring to the table. That's the point that Paul's saying. There's this disillusionment that we have in, in our understanding of, I want to be known everywhere. I want to be known at my work. I want to be known at my hobbies. I want to be known. There's this disillusionment of, if I can make it to the Hall of Fame in this, it's more important somehow than just being known in the Hall of Faith in Christ. There's that disillusionment, and that's just what we're called to. So listen, what I'm trying to say is this. According to Paul... Your love for community saints matters. If you want to be useful, prove yourself useful to the brothers and sisters in Christ at your work, to the brothers and sisters in Christ at the ballpark, to the brothers and sisters in Christ at the gym, to the brothers and sisters in Christ, and all these different means. Your love for local community saints matters. And your love for national saints matters. Your brothers and sisters who are in Acts 29, we've been showing videos of what we're a part of. Your brothers and sisters in other states, a part of the International Mission Board. Your brothers and sisters who are your friends and brothers and sisters just live in different states. They are of value and you're of value to them. Your love for the overseas saints matters. This is why we are trying to plan to the best of our ability It's sad to say, but y'all know it true, since we multiplied into two churches, we haven't had a foreign mission trip since that moment. That's that's horrific, all right? We're going to rewrite that, and we're going to rewrite this year. Why? Because our brothers and sisters across the pond, they matter. And somehow, we oddly matter to them. Your brothers and sisters in the community, in the nation, overseas, and then just your love for your local saints right here. Man, it matters. 
Community groups matter. Your phone calls matter. Your texts matter. Your dinners matter. Your just lingering matters. Your rubbing shoulders matter. You matter to one another. And that is a massive part of what it means to be grounded in Christ. So may it be said of each of us, you know what? I don't necessarily remember any one crew that they were constantly with, but every crew that they were with somehow pointed to the person and work of Jesus in all things. And that's what it means to love the saints. What a good passage. So maybe you walked in here today going, am I of any use? You are of tremendous use. The question is, will you get out of your comfort zone and be used? That's the call. And so with that said, Paul says this, and and we don't have time to go into the rest of the passage, but we'll pop it up on the screen. This could be ten more sermons, but we're we're not going to leave it here because I think I want us to see the big picture rather than the minutia in this passage. For those two reasons, number one, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, your love towards all the saints. For those two reasons, Paul says, I give thanks. And he begins to pray this prayer over them, which is true stability and grounding. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places." Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I wrap it up with this. To say aloud, I have the fullness of Christ, might indeed be found lacking, just to say it. But to show aloud that you have the fullness of Christ in a way that people go, He is a person of faith and she loves the saints. To show it will prove your faith undeniable. You may not feel of any use. But according to this passage, God has tremendous usefulness for you. What is it? What can I be used for? I don't, what do you do? Do you do music? I, there's a crew right here that would love to use your talents and abilities. We couldn't show the kids' video this week. We'll show it next week, Miss Beth. Uh, because Beth Eubanks, our children's minister, was sick. Um, they just went on a retreat this past weekend as well. It was awesome. And I cannot wait to show you next week all the things that they did and talk to some of the kids. We'll have the kids uh, talk about some of their experiences. It just took somebody willing to go, I'm crazy enough to take them and hang out in a bunk for a weekend. Could you be of usefulness in that way? Do you see those stairs that were built? How many of y'all have walked up the stairs through the back parking lot, right? 
Somebody had to build the stairs to get to the bottom parking lot. Somebody had to dump the gravel so that we could actually park in this place without getting stuck. Sometimes people got stuck and had to be pulled out of ditches before we kind of got this thing ready. That back area is almost finished. If you hadn't been up there in the back area yet, if you've been up back here, isn't it awesome? It's incredible. This is going to be just as awesome. Go look at it. Your feet are going to get a little dirty because there's sand in this stuff right now, but go check it out. Somebody had to do it. We're going to feed people at this wrestling tournament. We do stuff at the school. We're hanging banners on the softball uh, and both baseball fields at Eccles and County High in two weeks. Somebody's got to hang them. And you go, that just sounds humdrum, mum-dum. I don't know, whatever words kind of come out. No, 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 no. It's just another expression of usefulness. You can do something nobody else can do for the glory of Christ in a way that nobody else can do it. Will you do it or not is the question. What a great passage. Church, you're awesome and incredible. God's done some crazy stuff in this past year. I can't even, I'll be honest with you, I can't even believe we still exist. (laughs) Uh, But in just just a minute, more people are going to flood in. God's using you. God's using you. And I want you all to be a part and don't miss out. Not just for the sake of safe haven, but so that it will be said of you. That person was a person of faith, and that person loved to be around the saints. Let's pray together. What a passage, Lord. As a, as a largely theologically reformed church, God, we do not apologize for saying that you get the glory in all things. <laughs> You do. It's all about you. You do everything. It's, it's all about you. But thank you. Thank you that we get to be a part. And it's a very real part that has very real consequences and very real blessings. May we not miss out on the blessings of Christ because we're just being lazy. Jesus, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.